all he did to do was to come and die, Jesus comes and dies, then and we're all cured, then there's no point to his having any kind of life. Okay, but his life is actually key. His active obedience, they call it, is key. Now if you turn with me to Second Corinthians. We're going to first look. Do I know where it is? We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Who would like to do that for us? Go for it. Um, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, even as we obtained... I'm going to change the version because I don't want to read this version. All right. Uh, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. By the open statement of the truth, we would recommend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Uh, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light, uh, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is what the Christian life is. This is sanctification right here. Uh, we don't lose heart. We renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning. We refuse to tamper with the, the word of God. We understand that the gospel is veiled. We understand that Christ invaded this world and he came behind enemy lines and he's rescuing us. And um, he, he, he said, let light shine in darkness in our, in our hearts, just as he said, let light shine in darkness at the beginning in Genesis, right? So we're new creations. And we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, we, so we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which is the word of God, right? The face of Jesus Christ uh, it, it's, it, it can be a little confusing, but we don't actually physically see Jesus, right? Jesus is in heaven, but what we've been given is a, f- a picture of him. Um, and, and, and a picture of him is the total package, okay? So you have everything from the incarnation to the session of Jesus Christ and everything in between. The session of Jesus Christ. Okay, you, you don't go with just the incarnation. You don't go with just the life and ministry. You don't go with just the death. You don't go with just the resurrection. You don't go with just the ascension. Okay, you go further even. He's ruling and reigning from the right hand of God now. But there's, it's the total package. Okay, when we behold Jesus, um, we are, we, this, this is, um, he later says in one of his other epistles to the Corinthians, that we go from glory to glory. That's what sanctification is. Jesus is the standard. He's the one we're all learning from. He's the one we're trying to imitate. And not. And, and this is where it gets very interesting. Because during COVID, one of the things that I kept hearing from everyone is imitate Jesus, imitate Jesus, imitate Jesus. Okay? Mm-hmm. When he was scoffed, he didn't scoff in return. Um, when, he, uh, when the authorities laid their hands on him, he didn't prevent them from doing so. And I'm like, that's correct, actually. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, but what was he doing at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark? Did he let them just put his hand, their hands on him and do whatever they wanted? 
And, and I think this really is very difficult and why it requires lifelong study. What Jesus did at various times in his ministry, um, the circumstances may look very similar, but there are huge differences. When they come to put hands on him and throw him off a cliff, he says, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do is die. So, yeah, sure, chuck me off this thing. No, that's not what he does, right? Um, when, when Satan offers him all the kingdoms, he's, he's, he's got a way out of everything that's planned for him. So he could have just taken the kingdoms from Satan. But that's not, right? He had other things he had to accomplish besides simply ascending to the right hand and ruling and reigning. Is this making sense? So Jesus is the thing that we are imitating, um, both what he did and what he didn't do, and, and the motivation behind it. Um, you know, when he calls the Pharisees, well, yeah, you know, I tend to lean a certain way. He, he's insulting a bunch of people, and some people come to him, and they're like, you're really being insulting to those guys, and you're insulting us too. And he just says, oh, yeah, well, I'm not done with you, and then he carries on insulting them. Um, now, for people like me, I tend to just sort of default to that position. I think everyone understands that by now. So I tend to have to read the end of the Gospels a lot more often than the, right? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to read what happens after he's arrested, just to refresh my mind that that part happens. Um, but a, a great number of people need to go back and reread what he did. Um, and what's really interesting is in, in order to aid us in this mission of understanding the life and ministry of Jesus, we're given two sets of documents to help us interpret the Gospels. Uh, and this is, this is also this kind of meta where we're going here with this, but... You have the Gospels, which is the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, okay? And then you have the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and then you have the rest of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And all of these things are given to understand the, these, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. uh, that's the purpose of them. Um, so the more you understand this, and the more you understand this, the more you're going to understand this. Mm -hmm. Because I also know a lot of Christians who spend, you talk to them, and they've, they've read, they just read the Gospels over and over. Mm -hmm. And the Psalms, fine. But um, go and read Lamentations, right? Go and read Habakkuk, for goodness sakes. Um, and then go and read James or Thessalonians. So the, the two letters to the Thessalonians, everybody seems to forget that that even exists. Which is funny because I became a Calvinist, not reading Romans like most Calvinists, but reading Thessalonians, the, the two epistles. I was like, man, this Calvin guy knew what he was talking about. Um, okay, so... We're going to go look at some other things. He thinks sanctification is a process of Christ being formed in us. All right, so then Charles Williams. Charles Williams has uh, an interesting thing about the three stages of the Christian life. I can't stand Charles Williams, but C.S. Lewis liked him, so we'll take it. He's a creeper. I don't know who uh, he was. Could you comment further on that? Yeah, uh, Charles Williams. Yeah, what are you doing? yeah. So Charles Williams had a big effect on C.S. Lewis. Who was he? Uh, he was um, he he worked for the Oxford Press. Okay. Okay. And so he he read a C.S. Lewis book, and C.S. Lewis read one of his books at exactly the same time, and they wrote love letters to one another. That's the joke uh, about adoring one another's work, and they passed each other in the mail, uh, and they had this very serendipitous meeting. So then Charles Williams had to leave London and go to Oxford because Oxford Press moved there during the war. So he's this famous guy that C.S. Lewis is kind of enamored with. So he invites him, and he sort of dominates the Inklings after that. Mm -hmm. and, and Charles Williams took the affections that C.S. Lewis had for Tolkien 
uh, a large part of why their relationship was ruined is because of Charles Williams. Um, and then, just to, just one last kicker, Charles Williams suddenly falls sick, goes, has to go to the doctor. C.S. Lewis goes to, to see him there, and he gets there and finds out he died suddenly, and this was very difficult for C.S. Lewis. So this is autobiographical facts. But Charles Williams, uh, his thing is there's this weird Christian cult that he f- started um, uh, and, and he was this very weird guy who was very into um, the medieval, what do you call it, uh, the principles of love, you know, where you're devoted to a particular woman who's not your wife, but you never consummated. What do you call it? Courtly love. Yeah. So he was obsessed with courtly love. Um, and he had this whole cult of these women who fall, followed him around because he wanted very much to be adored by people. Um, he was also a kind of a heretic. <laughs> um, simply because he, he has very weird things about the presence of God um, and this kind of idea about being possessed and stuff by God. Uh, he takes some things in the scriptures way too far. He, and he also was into the occult. Um, so he was really into that. And so he tried to, he was, he mixed a bunch of things uh, together. And he had this kind of form of Christianity that C.S. Lewis kind of put up with. But, you know, he put up with Tolkien's Catholicism. So in C.S. Lewis's mind, he's used to being around weirdos. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's who Charles William is. He's a, he's a really bad, I, I don't really understand the attraction besides the fact that his ideas were, they captured C.S. Lewis's imagination in some way. But here we are, quoting Charles Williams, against my will. All right, so uh, Charles Williams has the three uh, stages of the Christian life in the book. Do you guys remember what they are? They're on page 189. Well, I'm there, but I did pick up on that. One is old life, old way. Okay, old life, old way. Uh, Then it's, now I'm looking at it, to old self, new way. Okay, old self, new way. And three, new self, new way. Mm. Yeah, if you get too far into the Lewis thing, then you get into the Tolkien's, when you, or to the Inklings. When you get into the Inklings, you have to put up with some other people like Owen Barfield and Charles Williams. But I actually do find this to be helpful. I'll give them credit where credit's due. Uh, you know, the old life, the old way, and there is a time where you have the old self in the new way, and then you have a time where it's the new self in the new way. And this actually, I understand this a great deal. Because I remember when I was first a Christian, there was a great deal of things that I knew that I had to do that I had no personal conviction about. Um, a lot of my Christian life, even still to this day, is I look around and I see what you're supposed to do. Um, and then I do that. <laughs> And then over time, it, it slowly it, it alters your affections, right? It's just like it's like how you train a kid. I know that you want to play video games, but what I but what you're going to do is go to bed early, okay? Because you have a big day tomorrow. Then what you do over years and years and years of that kind of thing is the kid wants to go to bed early so that he's not grumpy tomorrow because he has something important to do. But it gets it takes years to get him there. So, uh, I don't know, is this a common experience for people who are converted later in life? Old self, new way. I remember. I, I, <laughs> there are amusing stories even with Anne and I when we were dating. Sorry, her mom's right there. But she, she, I was like, okay, what am I not supposed to do when we're courting? And I literally had to, I took a lot. Uh, she had to explain a lot to me. And I was like, well, that sounds awful. 
um, and terrible. I hate this, but all right, fine. Uh, and, and there were other ethical things, like even going to church every Sunday. I didn't think that, I mean, for a long time, even after I was like a deacon and stuff, I thought this obsession with going every week was just kind of nonsensical. Um, it's like, you know, God's everywhere. I was secretly one of those people for years. <laughs> Until I suddenly, one day I was like, you know what, we're, I know we're camping, but we're going to find a church. And I was like, I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> but do you guys experience this? You didn't give up on Old life, old way, old self, new way, new self, new way. Or you guys were just, you guys came out of the waters of baptism, new <laughs> self, new way. I think this only happens to me on a smaller scale, because I was like, raised in a Christian home, so yeah. I kind of knew what I was supposed to do and, and understood why yeah. a lot of the time. But they're just, yeah, spe- more specific behaviors where I'm like, I've got to learn not to do that. Right. So. Yeah, and I think it goes a lot to what we were talking about last week with the animal, um, the animal versus diabolical self, the animal self and the diabolical self. So even if you aren't converted later in life like I am, we all still have the flesh, right? And, and, the, and the flesh, the animal self, still wants things. The diabolical self still wants things uh, that we're not supposed to have. So the diabolical self wants to manipulate. Um, it, 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 it's covetous, and then which covetousness always leads to envy if it's unchecked. So you get into these areas where you're still operating under the idea of self, not the idea of the way, the truth, and the life. Right. Right, so even so, it applies in both directions. Mm-hmm. Now, given this fact, right, is this? Do you guys find that there's some validity to what Charles Williams is saying? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Yeah. My work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, three stages of regeneration. They were into. Okay. So. Yeah, so now we're going to get, just get into a few other things, um, some examples, sort of, to flesh all this out. What's the connection between faith and obedience to C.S. Lewis? And this is where a lot of people get very confused about his theology. Um, because he talks in sort of a fatalistic way about the fact that, you know, especially at the end of uh, The Great Divorce, um, you're making these decisions all along through your life. Um, and, and, and so you're deciding to be for heaven or hell. You're making this choice throughout your life. Um, and, that, and, and what he means by that and how that actually functions is kind of difficult for people to understand. But what is it that he says? What's the connection between faith and obedience? Faith is faith is yeah, sorry, you raised your hand first. <laughs> About obedience to a lesser good rather than... I think he wants obedience out of the right motives. Right. Obedience out of the right motives. Okay. That's good. Um, Because I think, you know, it's really easy for most of us to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Um, You know, it's when your wife is being lovely, it's easy to love her. When she's not being lovely, it's a lot harder. Right? This is what my whole sermon last week was about. When the dude's not acting very respectable, you have to respect him because you're told to. Okay? And so, uh, he has this quote from uh, Paralandra. You guys remember the quote from Paralandra about obedience? Top of page 189. Top of 189? Oh, no, wait, I'm, I'm wrong. No, yeah, I'm sorry. Top of page 191. Yeah, what's the quote there? 
That music is rocking. Sorry. <laughs> well, the quote is, I think he made one law of that kind in order that there might be obedience. That's what you're talking about? No, what can... Ransom tells Tennant. Oh, Ransom, though. okay. Yeah, Where you sorry. can taste the joy. Yeah. Where you can taste the joy of obeying unless he bids you to do something for which his bidding is the only reason. Yeah, so this is about motivation. You don't really know Christian obedience until you do something simply because he told you to do it. Okay? Obeying the Lord God would be the only reason to do it. Now, this does not happen to us. Uh, we don't recognize that this happens to us as often as it truly does. Right? We live very safe, comfortable lives. When we pray for our daily bread, how many of you guys really stop and, 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 and you pray that particular portion of the prayer with real intensity? <laughs> right? Like, I, I mean, I was recently looking at the Lord's Prayer thinking like, it's so easy to say this prayer and not think about it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, his kingdom is coming. I'm a post-millennialist. I read books about it. So, okay, cool. Check. Right. <laughs> Daily bread, couple of loaves, check. Right? I mean, it's very easy. Uh, do unto other, or uh, um, forgive others as I've been forgiven. Don't think too much about that. You know, may evil not befall us. Well, we got police departments and EMTs and... It's very easy to call, you know, to get doctors and, you know, I got a freezer that holds off death for my food. Um, so evil doesn't really come in and get me. But we're not, we're, we don't recognize uh, as often as we should in the, because of this, the world we live in. We're very spoiled. That there are times where he, the only reason to do something is because he told us to do it. And I think we, we need to get out of our comfort zones and into this Zone more often than we do, and look for ways to get out of our comfort zones. Okay, um, yeah. If, if it <laughs> just the Christian life is very easy for some of us because uh, life is very easy for some of us. Okay, so he's uh, going on with this idea of the connection between what comes first, first faith or obedience. What's that? I was said faith. Faith, yes. Okay, good. We're not heretics. <laughs> so faith comes first, and then works. Okay? Obedience is another way of saying it. Everybody dislikes the word works. That's why I like to use it. It makes everyone nervous. Now, what happens when you have a system like this? You're... You're not skipping Jesus. On the Lord. Yeah. yeah, you're not relying on yeah, you skip Jesus, right? You're earning something. You're, you're holding God hostage. Uh, you're saying, okay, listen, hey, I did these things. I, I have the merit, so now give me the privileges. Opposed to, okay, I, you know, everything I have, I've been given. Um, therefore, I have to go and do certain things. God says, if you, Jesus says, though if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And anytime you use the word works, it throws everybody. Everyone hears the word works and they immediately think you're talking about works righteousness. Um, but that's not the way. It's, I mean, it's very simple. He gives you faith. He's, he's prepared works beforehand for you. If you actually have faith, if you actually love him, then you will do the works. Okay? And you don't earn anything. You're being obedient to it. Um, and everything that we do here is a response to what he has done here. Okay? Everything, it comes out of this. This is why James, which uh, Luther thought the book of James, he, his quote of it is that it's not good for nothing but lining the stalls of horses. <laughs> 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 so, Luther. Woo! 
Luther. <laughs> He's intense. Um, so, because for this reason, James says, "Show me your faith; I'll show you my works." Because even even the demons believe. Even the demons know who he is. Even the de- demons proclaim his name and his glory, even. But that but they don't obey him. Right. right? So it's great that you believe. Now, sh- put your money where your mouth is. And I think this is very similar to the motivation problem. Um, most of us don't really have an opportunity. Uh, you know, to show forth our good works. Because what are, um, th- there's like low-level stuff, like you get up, you go to work, you pay your bills. Like, is that what God, is that all that God means? Don't be a bother to anybody. Take care of yourself. Work hard so you have enough money. Right? I work hard, so I have money. Is that the kind of work he's talking about? No, but, right, modern white Protestants tend to think that's what he means. Works are work. But what does he mean, you think, by works? Fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, okay. Fruit of the Spirit. What else has C.S. Lewis been talking about in his talks? He's been talking about what? He's talking about the cardinal virtues. Virtues. Okay. What else? What else do you think the Bible means when it says works? Prayer, okay. It's a work. Good. Spiritual gifts, I guess. Okay, yeah, your spiritual gifts. Now, how many of you guys think your spiritual gifts align with your vocation and your work, your actual job? (laughs) I'm sorry, everyone's very quiet. Do you guys think that you're in a position where what you're doing in life, actually what is required to do it, is the spiritual gift that you've been given? Yeah. Who said yeah? You said yeah? You said yeah? Okay. Now, could you guys, I'm not asking you to call it out, but do you guys actually know what your spiritual gift is? Yes. Okay. See, I think this this is an area increasingly... I don't think I have any. Laura, how many times have I got to argue with you that you're full of spiritual gifts, Laura? Your ministry is huge. Okay. Um, I am always arguing with that. You don't think you have a ministry, but you do. Don't, I'm, so just, let's not go there. Okay, let's not <laughs> So many spiritual gifts. Now, and I think that one of the things, um, you know, this conversation gets away from a lot of our brothers and sisters very quickly because they think it means talking and speaking in tongues and this kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I think that we need to do a lot of work on this as a church. What are the spiritual gifts that we've been given? Maybe yes. if we take that word spiritual out, I yeah. feel differently about it. What are your giftings or your talents? Then I feel different. Then I'd say, okay. You say, the, do you I, feel differently? The, yes. But spiritual? That's how it sounds like. See, so. why do we all, why do us reform people get all cringy when we hear that word? <laughs> well, because that's used in. <laughs> People talk about being spiritual and yeah. doing ministry. Yeah. And, and just kind of, I cringe with all that. You cringe with all that. Because there's a certain thing that you're responding to in the modern Christian world, right? Mm-hmm. It's like being radical. The radical faith. You guys, you know, there's all these books, Wiley at Heart, ra- the radical faith. Um, you know what's really radical faith these days is getting married, having kids, and yeah. settling down. That's pretty <laughs> radical. Yeah, it's very radical. <laughs> 
It's like, I did not know I was joining the resistance when I had my sixth child, but I was apparently already one of its leaders. Um, and, and I think you're right, gifts, because they're called various things. They're called spiritual gifts at one point. Paul calls them the gifts of grace. There's a portion of grace given to you. Because think about it. Think about it this way. You have a hurt sinner, okay? And, and that person needs grace. It, right, loving an unlovely person, forgiving something that is kind of, is unforgivable. This kind of thing requires a, a supernatural ability on our part, a, a grace that's given to us to extend to others. And so, we are given various graces that we are supposed to extend to other people, and only we have um, that particular set of strengths, that grace, particular to us particular to our context, our situation in life, to, to the people who need it. And I think this is something that we need to do a lot of work on. Um, because t- typically, right, especially now, it's really the professionalization of the ministry. People think, oh, I, I want to, Mike says I need to have a ministry. I should become a deacon then. Like, That's not what I mean. Not what I mean. Okay. Mike says I should have a ministry. I should start a Bible study then. Okay. That's actually not also what I mean. I don't mean that. Um, churches ought to be having all kinds of ministries because it has all kinds of people. Um, and they should not be top-down, formalized, structured things. And one of the weaknesses of this church for years, some of you know the former pastor. I, I love him very much. He's my friend. This is not supposed to be a dig on him. But he was very into systems. He was very into, like, um, centralized management. <laughs> he, he was a very entrepreneurial business mind. And you tried to structure things that way. And, and I think there's, you know, you miss the organic nature of a group of people when you try to centrally plan everything. Um, that's why I love when people come to me with ministry ideas. Hey, Mike, I had this ministry idea for you. And I'm like, it sounds like you have a ministry idea for yourself. Because <laughs> I already got a ministry. It's called Redeemer Church. So you take that one up yourself. Have fun with it. Um, so I want you guys to be thinking about this, you know. Um, you know, there's ways to identify it. If you have a burden for certain things that you, um, like, you don't, you shouldn't reform things that you don't love, okay? So if you feel this overwhelming burden to change things, to see something reformed, to see something sanctified, um, that's generally an area where God is leading you to, to get in the mix and get working. Right? I mean, if you think women ought to know more about X, if you think um, men ought to participate in this way in the community, I mean, that's usually something uh, that, that God's placing on you for a reason. Is this making sense? I think we need to be more aware of this kind of thing. Okay, we've wandered. Okay, one last thing. Eustace. Eustace from uh, the Dawn Treader. And he has, C.S. Lewis wanted to give us a picture of sanctification, the process, and it's called the undragoning of Eustace. Do you guys know this passage? Yeah. Raise your hand if you're familiar with this passage. Okay, it's Don Treader. What happens to Eustace? How does, what happens to him first? A boy who almost deserves that name. There's this dreamer vision where the wine says, I've got to get this dragon coat off. Right, so how did he get the dragon coat on? He had Scratch him. No, but how did he get it oh, in the first place? Just by being used to some stuff. Oh, he wandered off in that valley. Yeah, he, yeah, he fell space. asleep on a giant pile of gold. Okay, yeah. if you want to become a dragon, ask Jared, go to sleep on a giant pile of gold. Because <laughs> <laughs> dragon sickness is a real thing. 
Okay? And so he gets dragon sickness. He becomes a dragon because he falls asleep. And he becomes useful because he's a dragon. But then what happens to him? He has this vision, and what happens? The line says, there's only way to, to cut it off. He cut it off. Him. It off so he, he has to come, and he claws him. Now, does he do it only once and freeze him? It's like one of those dolls. Those layers yeah, and it's like yeah, like the Roman dolls. He cuts it one time and takes off the dragon skin, and there's another dragon skin. So then he cuts him again. He cuts him seven times. And, and the undragoning of Eustace is this long passage. He has to cut him seven times. And the last cut goes deep down inside, and something he breaks something inside of him. Um, and then he's, <laughs> he's just there in his bare skin, and he gets dunked in some water metaphor much. Um, and then he, it stings and burns and hurts, and then he's, a, he's a Eustace again. So the undragoning of Eustace is exactly what sanctification is like. We're being undragoned, right? Layers are being removed. And, and what happens every time you start to find some success in the Christian life? You find out what? There's another dragon layer, right? And this is what people, fruit trees. If you study fruit trees and how you actually take care of them, it's very helpful to understand how the fruit of the Spirit works. Because after a really fruitful um, harvest off of a fruit tree, you tend to then come out and cut branches. You actually trim the tree. Um, and so what most of us don't understand is after a season where we produce a lot of fruit, the Lord's like, yeah, you know, there's too many branches on here. Let's trim some. Because we want, we want, the, we want more fruit, but we want it to be stronger, richer, healthier. We don't want to dissipate this tree. And so there's always this period of blessing followed by what feels like cursing, but it's actually just being pruned. And I think that pattern happens in a lot of our lives. Um, and recognizing it for what it actually is is very helpful to not draw the wrong conclusions. Because a lot of the counseling I have to do for people is convincing them um, that they're not under God's judgment. They're being disciplined and trained, which is for something better. You've graduated is what's happened. right? Here's a certificate and a gold star. <laughs> You're moving up in the ranks. So the, the, this kind of thing is what C.S. Lewis really wants us to understand about the Christian life. You know, the Christian, you know, life isn't some plan that we have out there. It's the stuff that's happening to us every day is the life that God has given us to live. Okay? Because so many of us, I think, make plans, and then those plans don't come to fruition, and we think, well, why isn't God letting me get on with my life? Well, all, all of the things that are happening to you are your life. Stop waiting for something else. And... Right? And, and deal with what's right in front of you uh, charitably, fruitfully, you know, in, in obedience. Okay, any questions? Okay, we will not be here next week for class. We're taking a week off. Uh, and then I'll send out a video the following week so you guys know what we'll be studying. Okay? All right. Uh, Dexter, will you pray for us? Yeah. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your sanctification in our life and taking us through, and thank you for the Christian life of sanctification. I pray that we would value it and enjoy it, and that we would recognize um, the work that you have done, and I would pray that it would flourish into our faith and our work in our own ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys have a great day.